0: Welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 138. I'm your host, ID34. Isaiah Drone. Thursday night seven. It is Josephine Elwood Hollis. This is Hollis. Please hello to the people.
1: Hello. It's uh, just wonderful to be able to uh, receive and um, share with a group of people. And especially if uh, they spend their time of coming on on a sunny afternoon to be able to listen to someone that they do not know. That's beautiful. Wonderful. Well,
0: tonight's topic is one that needs to be talked about even to this day. Desegregation of public libraries. The term radical reconstruction refers to the sweeping social, economic, and political reforms passed by Republicans in Congress that made up the Constructional Reconstruction Act of 1867. The notable achievements of Reconstruction were the ratification of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, which focused on formally ending slavery and disenfranchisement of African-Americans. Legislation was passed to ensure equality among all men, regardless of race, and rebuild the nation's infrastructure destroyed during the Civil War. Most notably in the southern regions, during reconstruction the southern state governments represent a coalition of African-Americans known as the Freedmen's Bureau that provided relief and helped tens of thousands formerly enslaved people. However, racial segregation systematic division of people led into the next century. And in doing that, many racial and ethnic groups were segregated from the white majority. On March 27, 1961, nine young African-American scholars were arrested for entering the white-only public library in Jackson, Mississippi. A local newspaper called the reading the first move Integrate public facilities in Jackson. Joe Deans Edwards Hollis was one of those nine. At the historically black Tugelo College in Mississippi, where desegregating public libraries was now brought into existence and integrated for all students to have an equal share in education and in research. Miss Hollis, I'm so 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 glad to have you here. Please tell us Aris, a little bit about what you're doing currently.
1: Currently I am a wife, mother, grandmother and um, community support person. I share with uh, online uh, audiences. I speak to organizations, whether it be uh, schools, primary, elementary, high school, college, university, nonprofits, and uh, business organizations regarding uh, the topic that I choose now, which is Enlighten people about the things that you have just shared the why the how and the re- there is the results of the things that i was able to participate in not only in 1961 but throughout my teaching counseling uh professional educational avenues, and even into retirement, volunteering with specific groups to educate, enlighten, and uplift them also.
0: Again, we are so privileged to have you here. Uh, You are history, uh, and you are legacy, and we thank you for uh, just sharing information with us. Uh, as we move forward in this this conversation, because we just talk we just talk uh, Ms Hollis, um, please share what what happened that day when you and the others requested books not held by the color branch of the library and and you know, I, I read the articles I, I saw what the um, the article said that you know this this group of people didn't belong here. But as, as an actual eyewitness, right, when the police arrested you and your group because you went to another library where the law said that you couldn't particularly go to, okay, what what happened that day, in, in your own words? Well, what happened?
1: What happened that day is that the day started out uh, just as any other day with uh, most people that you have an agenda and that agenda is what you already have spoken of, going to the Harvard Library and uh, seeking the knowledge of something that we knew would not be there. That's the justification of the fact that if you are seeking something And you can't find it where you are supposed to find it, but you have to know that there are opportunities in order to find what you want at some other adventure. Then, as human beings, and especially human beings who have already been denied privileges. You realize that if you are doing the thing that is supposed to be done in a way that it should be done, no matter what anybody else may think about it, that you are going to set out to make that choice become a reality. And that was our goal. So being prepared in all of the ways that we knew in order to be able to make this accomplishment. And I say this because a lot of people may not realize the reality of living in the 60s, especially if they have no history knowledge about how, why, and what we had to live through. So at that time, our desires and goals were to live with the same kind of abilities that others were given that we had no choice and so we made sure that we were well prepared psychologically, physically and cognitively by having the knowledge of what we were seeking in a way that We could not be denied the fact that we entered into a a place that we knew we were not supposed to go. And that was that we seeked out educational materials that we knew could not be found in that library. And we had the opportunity to do what life affords us. If you don't know something, you ask, you seek, or you knock so we didn't want to knock so we're definitely interested in seeking and so we decided that we were going to go into this white only library which we know that it was a public municipal library which should have been open to all people because municipal means that the taxes that were paid by all people went to the support buildings and uh, engagements in the city itself. So that meant that we should have had the right to go into this library, to seek the knowledge and the production of products that we really wanted to make known. But that wasn't our only reason for going in. Yeah, You you said uh, some key words there
0: That I want to talk about Uh, Use the word justification Use the word opportunity Use the word privilege And use the word resources Uh, Children today Especially those in those Uh those economically disadvantaged or those social economically disadvantaged communities. Those are some of the arguments that we are having today uh, that, you know, are they having the resources to be competitive in the education? Uh, are they having the opportunities, right? And, and they are being justified By some of the privilege, right, as to why they are not having uh, the resources or those opportunities, maybe because they're scoring low on their test scores. And so, you know, when you use those terms, you know, I I thought a lot about what's going on today. Do you see uh, what happened during those days? Do you see? that kind of reoccurring today or is this something totally different? Uh, What's your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, Those days, uh, you knew that was a known fact that you did not have uh, the opportunity. That was a denial of the rights. And those words, opportunity, rights, abilities, all of those things were a part of our education, but we did not know how we could have the justification of those because of the stigmatization of the fact that because of the color of our skin that we were not believed to be acceptable into those realms of knowledge. And because at that time and at that place, the college that I attended was so well um, open and integrated because of the faculty members of the Tougaloo uh, College. Uh, We could not see any real difference except for the fact that we had a denial when we went into the community and so it was our goal to continue to uh, support the legacy of the college, which was a gym, a G-E-M gym, in the middle of the state of Mississippi, which was the most um, known for its desecration of people, uh, of uh, the the superiority that they felt that they had over people just because of the color of the skin and uh, the misuse of people when they only wanted them to be um, laborers or whatever. It was a very hard, a uh, harsh time to make any headway into uh, doing the things that we saw other people doing outside of the campus of uh, Tougaloo College. And so uh, we made a pact that we had knowledge of other places in the United States that were striving to make a difference. And so we set ourselves up as those who wanted to make a difference and uh, for a change for ourselves and for our college and for our colleagues, for the people that looked like us and people who wanted to be uh, represented in the norm of life, living, and education, especially there in the state of Mississippi. So we we just had a plan, and we had a desire, and we set aside goals. And one of those goals was to try to make it not just a request, but an action. And I do believe that for today that a lot of our young people are not open to some of those things because... Right now, it's felt that mostly everyone can do what they want to do, but the goal is, are you willing to make that challenge? Are you willing to go through the circumstances that will allow you to make those changes in your life, in your classes, in your environment? And that's that's what I'm seeing, and I'm saying that because I have a... I have a young lady that I spoke to this morning and uh, she just talked about the community that she lives in. It makes a big difference when you have people that don't respect that other people have the same rights that they have as long as those rights are not deterrent to the livelihood, learning, education, and growth of Anyone. So when I put that question into perspective, I would have to go beyond what you are asking because there's just so much involved in the desires of people then and now.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for that. That was so, so important what you just shared. And so, you know, with that being said, so there were no confusing parts in your mind at all about why you were going to this white-only library to search for a particular book which are your, your comrades or your colleagues. Furthermore, what I want to know, I, what I want you to share, and actually we're going to walk with you on this one.
1: <clears throat>
0: we, we are going to walk with you on this as you describe in your own words, okay? And, and we want to hold your hand as we're walking with you, and you are sharing this experience with us. What went through your heart? What went through your psyche? What went through your, your, your mind, your emotions, when they called the police on you and the other young scholars to be arrested? to go to to prison, to go to jail, to go to the county jail just because you went to a library that you weren't supposed to go to because of the color of your skin. What, What went through your mind? Will you please share with us? Take your time.
1: I thank you for asking that in that platform because living in the South at that time I think that most of us understood what we would have to deal with. We knew. I knew when I lived in the town, my hometown, the challenges that I had just to get a job. I knew the challenges that I had because I didn't see people doing the kind of things that I saw all citizens being able to do. Uh, and and I'll and I'll just move back a little bit and let you know that the very time that I went to vote at the age of eighteen, before I went to away to college, I knew what I had to do. And I went to the to the city' place where I needed to do that. And I shared what the request was. But this young lady who was probably the same age I was, Said that that wasn't right, but I stood there and I let her know that what I told her, the answer to the question, was correct. And she called the mail out and said, when he asked her what was wrong, she says this girl didn't answer the question right, so I'm denying her to the, the reason to vote the opportunity to be a voter. And I stood there in both my shoes and I said to her, I know what I said is right. So I'm telling you this because I had to prepare myself to live that life, to be able to reach those goals and objectives. And that was one of the things that I remember very well before going into the library, being prepared. And I'm saying that because as I work with young people in, in the whatever I'm doing, I want it to be known that it's not about who you are. It's about what you know about yourself and what you have the capabilities of. So the the man asked me, he says, well, what was the question? He asked the question, and I told him the answer. He told the girl, give her the paperwork so that she can vote. Now, when I got ready to go into that library, I had to research information that I knew that I wanted, that I definitely was to be capable of finding or not finding, to be able to have the opportunity and reason to go somewhere else and to be able to ask what I wanted. And I also knew that the police would be called, and so I could not waver on what I wanted to do. I would like to tell you and everyone else that there is a um, video of the Tougaloo 9. And this can be found on Facebook and other online organizations. And it has the picture of a young woman walking into this library with a young African American young man holding the door open showing how we respected each other. There were no policemen around at that time, but he opened that door and he waited for me to walk into that building. That young lady was me, the last one that went into that library, wearing a cap on my head, a trench coat on my body, well-reserved, preserved shoes on my feet, and underneath that I had The clothing on that would help my body from the expectations that I thought that I might get once I walked into that library. Not just to get a book, but you see, during that time, I knew that I might have also come with the complications of being met with a billy club. So I had to be prepared. Physically, emotionally, and cognitively, to be able to make that that I'll just say entrance into that building. But you see, before we also went into that building, we had to make the educational thrust that when we went in there, not only did we know the name or the title of the. Book or materials that we wanted, but we also had to know the uh, layout of a library. We had to know the stacks, the card uh, place. and so We had to know all of these things. What was the reason for having the desk, the card catalog, the, the stacks where certain books were organized. So we had to learn. We had to prepare ourselves with all of those degrees of knowledge. And then walking into that library using that same DVD, uh, not DVD, but that uh, video, uh, it can be seen that there were probably one person and this one that went to the uh, desk to uh, make a request with the uh, person behind the desk who was not like me because that person that walked up there was me and to be able to have dialogue with her, even though she was negative and didn't want to respond. I had to be professional and I had to be direct and I had to be unwavering because I didn't come in there to be denied. I went in there to be able to find that book or to let it be known that I was looking for that book. Not only did I go in and do that, but all of the other participants from the nine who were able to go into this library, we all had certain things that we had researched that we knew that we would not find in one place, but if it is something that was available in that particular building that we knew that we had to be prepared to ask for it, and it had to be something that they could not denied because it was something that they knew that was not in the place where they thought that we should have been able to look. So, having all of that said, speaking of the police, I learned a little bit later and I probably should have known prior to walking in that library that we did have a knowledge from a, con- a connection, a person that our mentor had let it be known that we were going to walk into that library. And that's what you call being prepared. He was sending us, or uh, hoping that we would be able to go into that place, but he also had prepared the fact that somebody would be in there that would be able to make a difference in the fact that the police couldn't just come in and start hitting with a club. That somebody knew that we was going to be there and that we were coming in for a very good reason to make a difference. And so with that all known, we knew that in this video that you would see that there were people there that knew why we were there. They didn't ask us anything. But because of the fact that we made our way into this sacred place that we were not supposed to be in, but in our minds, we knew that if they did it, then we too should have the same opportunity. So, we had prepared our minds and our bodies. My body was well padded just in case the Brealey clubs did come, but my mind was also prepared to be able to answer the questions that may have been asked. My mind was also prepared to be able to receive the fact that I might go to jail. And I did go to jail, along with the rest of us. We went to jail for walking into a public municipal library 1961, the 27th of of March and as you can uh, note I will be celebrating that day again as I do every year of memories or sharing with words of why when, how and why not because when you want something in life you have to be able to be prepared to want it well enough to be able to speak, seek, or live with that request. So that's why when we went to jail, we knew that we probably would have been jailed. But we had no idea that we would have been kept in jail. So... That was a real heavy thing. It was uh, the first time that I'd ever been in a jailhouse. And so far, in all of these 80 years, that's the only jailing that I've had. And I say that because I want to speak to the minds of young people and others. Life is not what you want all the time. It's not there for what you really think you should have. Huh? But. You should be prepared. I'm saying that because I knew at an early age that I needed to be prepared for what life had to throw at me. And going to jail was something that nobody in my family did. I think I was the first jailbird. But it was also my last opportunity to go to jail because that let me know that I could still do things in life, but I had to skirt around and to be able to make the choices in my life so that the things that I wanted to happen would be capable of happening even if I had to do a turn sometimes or sometimes if I had to go back and do that again in another way. In other words, there's more than one way to bake a cake. Nobody asked me about this, but... There are more than one way to do some things. The thing is that you've got to be able to want something so badly that you figure out a way to make it happen. And so going to jail, that was my last opportunity, my last desire. I didn't want it then, but I knew that I didn't want to go back to jail. So that meant it let me know at an early age that I had to walk in a pathway where if something was not what I wanted, to be able to seek and find another way around to get what I wanted, and to be able to get it in a way that it would not be against the society, but it would still be capable of being done. That was one stinky, nasty place. And I spent 30-something hours in there. And uh, But even at that time, being in that jail, I found a way to satisfy myself two ladies in one, two ladies in the other, across the hall from each other, in a place that reeked the drugs who may have been there before, uh, people who did not hold their urine, and uh, to be in that place that let me know what I didn't want in my life, and gave me the capabilities to seek the things that I did want in my life. Now, I don't know if wow. I answered all of the things that you asked for. No, no, no. You did. You
0: did because I opened up, up, up your life? Life? <laughs> what? You I thought. Well, you know, happen?
1: you are... Go back to that.
0: You know, you are a world changer. You are a world changer. Not only an activist, but you, you changed the course of history. You were used to change the course of history and you know there was I was looking at I was doing some reading and I came across an attorney and uh, he's also an artist his name is Michael um, Crowell oh anyway, he created a portrait oh, of Ford. you yes
1: yes Michael Corey uh-huh. yes
0: Michael Corey he yes. created a portrait of you for a band book week trading card and I think he published yes. it about yeah, about seven years ago, something like that. Does that sound right? Anyway, he won. He won a special jury prize because it depicted a band person rather than a book. That's right. What, he changed he? that.
1: He changed that acknowledgement. Yes.
0: And, and, he was and I believe you?
1: Go ahead. He, he was. They were looking for one thing in order to give the prize, but when he came in with his picture. Uh, they changed it. That uh, his 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 thoughts of why he uh, made his art was really receptive, and he got the prize. Yes. In June of 1962,
0: U.S. District Court Judge William Hurl Cox he ordered the library to desegregate. Now, my question for you is. Especially when the Two glow Nine episode that was videotaped, like like you said. Uh, this was one of the first uh, desegregation victories in the 1960s civil rights campaign in Mississippi, right? So, let me ask you two questions. <laughs> let me ask you two questions. How did you feel when you received the news? And then what advice would you leave for the young people that's listening in or that will hear this podcast at a later time. How did you feel when you received the news that the libraries were being desegregated and it was mainly because of what you and your group did the little nine? And then what advice would you leave to the young people?
1: Thank you. You know, sometimes... uh Because that has been uh, many years ago. I tend to sort of forget some of it. And when you ask a question like that, it opens up. Have you ever opened up a door and where the wind or the atmosphere swings it open? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what a question like that can do for a person like me. Uh, Mm. June of 1962, I was in my last year getting ready to move forward, finishing up with my classwork so that I could move and go to do my student teaching. Now, in June, that was not a lot of schools. You're not asking for this, but I think that people need to know this. There were not a lot of schools that I had the choice to do my student teaching at because they didn't have regular schooling in June for most schools, uh, have you, are you making a notation of that? Yes, it's not summer school, but I'm talking about right. regular schools. But you see, mm-hmm. I love this fact of telling people about some of my experiences at Tougaloo. There was a young, uh, not a young man, but a man there who was in the counseling department and his name was Dr. Shannon. Now, I finished all of my coursework at Tuvalu in three summers and three years. June of 62, I was finished with everything, but the student teaching would, would help me to become finished with everything so that I could get my teaching credential. And it was at that time that seeking with uh, other people, I found that there was a place in the northern Mississippi, the Delta. Now, when we talk about what happened in Jackson, I want you to know that I moved from the place of a library and regular schooling to take the opportunity to move to a place that was still in the realm of degradation towards people like me. And I'll say that because they did have educational processes going on, but they had school going on in the heat of July. You want me to tell you why? Because it was cotton country. And who picked the cotton? Not the white students, but the black students. So they changed the contour of the classes and this time frame to have the black kids to go to school in the heat in July so that they could be ready in the last of August and September to pick the cotton. But for me that was an opportunity but also a learning situation. See, I'm, I'm, I'm so, so thankful for the opportunities that I learned from. They were not things that people would be receptive to now. But I'm, I'm saying this because after teaching for so many years, I know that there are things people think. And even in life today, people say, well, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. Sometimes I want you to know that there are times you need to do some things that you don't want to do because there's a learning situation in that. That's an opportunity to be able to make yourself stronger in your plans, your goals, and all of these things because you find that you are stronger, more resilient, more apt to want to move forward on something that you know can be accomplished. And it doesn't have to be thoughts. It can be in your mind, in your body, in your heart, that you are capable of doing things not because it is wrong, but because you can make it right. Now, and let me just move forward on that because this will answer some of the same things that you asked me about the condition of what the choices was after going into the library. You see, mm-hmm. when I went to this place in northern Mississippi, that opens up a whole new fall game. And, and I'm going to see what you have to say because if you want me to, I'll tell you what that was.
0: We want to know, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) We want to know. Okay.
1: Now, you know, if it's one school district, one school system for the blacks, then it was at that time that there was about four of us in the same subject. Okay? Now, when we went up there from different places across the state, they had boys' physical education, girls' physical education, and then they had somebody else that had a degree in physical education or something else. That left me without a choice, but I was okay. I said, that's no problem. That was not a problem at all. You talk about diversity, challenges, making a difference, setting of goals, I looked around that school and not looking at the town, I'm just going to tell you about the school. That opened up a way that set the place and plan for my future education. Because, you see, these people that were the specialists in that field, physical education, they only wanted to work with the high school and the middle schoolers, right? So that left with the, left me with all of the elementary teachers in classes, first to sixth grade. Now you want me to tell you what I did? I went to yes, yes, in those grades and I told them that I had a program for them. So I've divided my time up and I met with each teacher and I set up a time for to work with all of those classes, first through sixth grade. My first degree of making sure that I could work with all of these teachers and deliver what each one of those classes needed. And so, I set that up that I would go and talk with the teachers and I would take that class out and the teachers had to come out so that I could share with them what we were doing and why we were doing it. Now, you see, most people think because you don't have equipment that you can't do anything. So I changed the, the ideology of running and having a ball, a kickball or whatever. And I made it into games and organizations and play concepts and uh, helping each other. And I did this according to the level of those children. And I worked out this process. And after the teachers stayed with me, they wanted to leave. Some of them, I let them leave. But I told them, I say, now, this is the lesson plan that you should be working with so that you can continue to teach these kids and give them the opportunity to be able to let off some steam and learn some ways that you don't have to deal with in the classroom. So I spent my I love it. six weeks up there, and uh, that's... That's how I became uh, more knowledgeable of what I was capable of doing if I really had a reason to do it. But uh, this is not the way, the reason to tell you about all of that because there is more to this story in that town than you probably want to know at this time. <laughs> this was more segregated. This was more segregated. You, you, if you go back and you look at history and you think about that area mm-hmm. and you see what happened during that time where people had to change their lives to make it work for the other culture mm. to make sure that they were okay so those people learned to adjust with that now or just because you asked me this, I don't think I've talked about this part with anyone. But let me just tell you, when I went up there, I had to borrow from my parents $50. I said, you know, just let me hold on to it, and I'll get it back. I didn't have any idea how I was going to get that money back, Okay. I didn't know what I was gonna do. My dad my, my dad was a minister, my mom was a minister's wife, and they had a little business, but they had also five of the kids to take care of. But I was just so sure <laughs> of my abilities, and, I, and I'm not patting anything on my back, okay? I was so sure of my own abilities because of how I was raised, and being an oldest child with five siblings under me. And and, and this is not to tell you my life story, but all of them were boys, okay? I was the only girl. So I had to learn how to make things work for me and not have them overwork me. So when I went up there, I got to this place where I rented a place in this lady's home. All of this is to help people to know how you learn. I don't mind teaching, I just don't teach, I tell now. But, what happened is that I got there first, and I got a room, and I asked the lady how much would it cost, and she told me how much it would cost. And then she told me how much it would cost to eat every day, because she was gonna cook everything and she was gonna fix it, and then we pay her to do this. And then I said, okay. But since I was there first, I, I I moved around, I walked around this little town. I found out where the, all the places were. I knew where the grocery store was. I knew where this was, that was. And I knew the way to the school, which was more than a mile away. And I didn't have a vehicle, but I didn't know anybody. So I had to find out how to walk and get myself back and forth to that school. And so, While I was there, I saw and found out where the grocery stores was. So I went in and I brought myself a little something to eat. I found out what was in this store to uh, work with. And so in a a half a day or so, a couple of the ladies came. And the lady told us, she said, well, I'll cook for you all too. And I'll cook for all of you all. And then you all pay me. (laughs) And so... You know, one of my uh, majors, minors, really, was math, was mathematics. And when I got physical education, I had two minors also. One of them was mathematics. Okay. So what I did, I figured it out. I said, now "If I take my money and their money, and I cook the food, and I set up a program for them. And the lady won't have to do it, but she'll still get our rent money. She won't have to worry about us. And so, I don't know if the lady was happy about that, but the young ladies, was they were okay because not only the lady was going to fix only supper, I was going to make breakfast and fix lunch and dinner. And they were going to pay me a certain amount each a week. And I figured that in my head, and I said, you know, I would do this, because I came from a big family, most of them was boys, and I knew how to cook. And so what I did, I collected that money and I made sure that I got the groceries. Can you imagine in a hot summer, me trugging down the road, bag full of groceries? That was no problem because I was making a plan just like the teachers and setting them up and helping them to learn. I was learning myself how to live on my own, first time. So. You see, what they understood is that they didn't have to worry about their breakfast and they didn't have to worry about their lunch. So I cut out their responsibilities for what they needed that they would be doing for themselves. And I told them what I would do. See, what I'm saying is I had a plan for them as well as myself. So having five brothers, I knew how to cook. I knew how to do all these things. And I knew how to shop. The I did all of that. But the lady didn't cater to it too much because we had too much food in the refrigerator. So when the refrigerator <laughs> get a bit full, I find we'd we'll come home and she had made a big pot of soup That was okay.
0: Dr. Jardine Edwards-Hollis for just giving us so much vital history that we're going to share for listen audience. And we thank you again. Uh, for this opportunity we thank you again for this lesson and for learning on how to survive and how to do the world changes moving in the future us. well this was another impactful night of the Impact of Education Leadership our guest tonight was the Honorable Geraldine Edwards Hollis good night Radio follow us Spotify follow us Follow us. Apple Podcasts. Follow us. Follow us. Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast. Facebook.